Thanks so much for doing that reading, Anna. Appreciate that. So how did last Sunday leave you? When you think about um, the message last Sunday, if you were here last week um, or if you heard it on podcast, um, what, were there any questions that kind of came up for you, any comments or thoughts that bubbled up for you over the course of the week? In a moment, I'm going to pause and, and give an opportunity just to hear a little bit from you in this area. I recall um, a while ago talking with a federal politician in Queensland who said to me that if you want to make a friend in politics, if you want to have a friend in Canberra, then get a dog. Being in the public arena can be tough. I have seen politicians attacked personally with such malice in one meeting where there was kind of like a debate in the lead up to an election, one of the federal elections in Queensland, where one of the attendees was just tearing strips off the sitting member. So much so that others actually had to manhandle him and eject him from the meeting because of how um, vicious he was in his attacks. As a pastor in Queensland, I had one congregation member tell me that I was a heretic because I dared to use the new, uh, not the, the New Living Translation, Eugene Peterson's The Message. And because I would dare to, to read that out from up the front, I was labelled a heretic. On another occasion, one said to me that my preaching was so light and fluffy, it did not even um, constitute being classed as milk. But it was so light, so airy, so, um, so full of, so lacking in substance that it was but the froth on the top of a cappuccino. So if you're going to insult a pastor, you might as well do it well, you know, you, you've got to put some thought into it. So, so if you're ever going to give me an insult, make sure, you know, you, you're creative about it. I must admit, I have never been carried away by a wave of emotion of an audience that dragged me to the edge of a cliff where they wanted to throw me off. But in last week's snapshot from the life of Jesus, we, look at, we looked at some of the background of, of Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. And we looked at what got um, the crowd so riled up by what Jesus had said that they were prepared to kill Jesus. Jesus, as the Messiah, identified himself as a gracious Messiah for all people, not just the Jews. Those in the Nazareth synagogue didn't like this one little bit. So what about you? As you think about the the message last week or any thoughts that came up from last week's message, um, any questions or comments that you might have, just quickly race around with the microphone. It was a week week ago, so you might have forgotten most of it, if not all of it, and that's okay. But um, if there's something that um, you wanted to touch base on, I'm more than happy to to pause for a moment um, and give you an opportunity to to say, this is what I got out of it, this is what I didn't get out of it, Um, I was confused about this, whatever it might be. So if you want to raise a hand... That's fine. It was a week ago. Oh, we've got one up the back. See, you never, I never told you last week that there was going to be an exam a week later, did I? <laughs> All right. Thanks, Lorraine. I was wondering why there was only one leper in Elijah's time healed. Yep. And um, how courageous for Jesus to walk through that crowd. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, um, and, and that's the whole thing. So... God says, 
uh, well, Jesus acknowledges that there were so many lepers, that there wasn't just one, that there were a, a number of lepers, but it wasn't even that um, in the, the nation of Israel that the leper got healed. It was someone from another country that got healed instead. And wow. Yep. Anna. I'm a good girl. I just looked through my notes from oh, last week. <laughs> and I love the line that you said, Jesus is for, and I put that in capital letters, Jesus is for everyone. And how many times do we walk into a building and we look and we think, ooh, they look a bit funny. And then we go down the street and we say, oh, they look a bit, are they dangerous? Are they crazy? Are they this? Jesus was for everyone. He looked at everyone with his eyes of love, as um, Lorraine said in her communion too. And that just really struck me. Anyone else? Yeah, it is. That's all right. Keeps me fit. Thanks, Lisa. Yeah, I couldn't remember, but I remember that it really struck me last week. And I think it was what Anna said that Jesus was for everyone. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep, so that Jesus was for everyone. Yeah. Anyone else? Last quick scan. No, okay. So today we go a little deeper into Jesus' manifesto as, God, as God's sent one, the rescuer, the Messiah, and to look at the implications for us today. So if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 4, verse 14, the passage that Anna read out for us earlier. Last week we also considered who or what guides us and informs the decisions and the direction of our life. In Luke, we see from the outset, in Jesus' ministry, Jesus is guided by God the Holy Spirit. At Jesus' baptism and commissioning in Luke chapter 3, verse 22, the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus in the physical form of a dove. In Luke chapter 4, verse 1, the Holy Spirit then guides Jesus to go out into the wilderness in what proves to be an intensive time of challenge for future ministry. It was an opportunity for Jesus to grow in his discipline and in his focus. Luke 4:14 that we heard today reminds us that Jesus was empowered by God the Holy Spirit. And in Luke 4:18. Jesus tells the synagogue audience what Jesus already knew to be true. The Spirit of Yahweh God is upon Jesus with intent, with purpose. Later, in Luke chapter 10, verse 21, the following the return of the 72 disciples that Jesus had sent out in pairs to go out into the countryside, Jesus hears their accounts on their return about how God moved in and through them in a powerful way. And as followers of Jesus, um, they saw amazing things happen. And Jesus is filled with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Throughout the life and ministry of Jesus, the person and the work of God, the Holy Spirit, was key in Jesus' life. Leading, guiding, transforming, empowering, bringing pleasure to the life and ministry of Jesus. God the Holy Spirit was not just a token part of Jesus' life and ministry, but was actively at work in every aspect of Jesus' ministry as the Son of God. That's why Jesus was able to apply Isaiah 61 
to his life and ministry, as he quoted it in Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19, where we read these words. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the uh, Lord's favour has come. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is upon Jesus, anointing Jesus, sending Jesus. The work of God the Spirit through Jesus, who is God the Son, is not an end in itself. It's not as if it's some sort of a love fest and that's all it is. But there is an outworking, a focus for, on the Messiah's mission as we see in the verses that follow in Luke. First of all, we discover it's about bringing good news. Now, in first century Israel, there was a lot of sucky news. Let's be real about it. There wasn't a lot of great stuff going on at times. They were occupied by a foreign power that made life challenging. The religious system that they, had, they were a part of and that was core to their identity was, was corrupted by thirst for power and money. Those who actively sought God were often given more rules to follow that only increased the burden on their life. The poor that are focused on are not just those that are poor financially, that are doing it tough financially. God has a bigger picture in mind when he thinks about those who are poor. They may be rich in pocket, but they are poor in other areas. One writer puts it like this, the poor are those who are so broken by life that they have no heart to try. Those who are so bound up in their various addictions that liberty and release are a cruel mirage. Those who think that they will never again experience the favour of the Lord. Jesus not only brought good news of God's grace, God's favour and love to those who earnestly sought God, but Jesus also brought a confronting challenge to those who thought that they were already good enough, that they'd already achieved what they needed to in life. Good news was available to those who thought they were good, were good enough if they humbly came back to God and sought God's grace and mercy. But if they thought they were good enough, they weren't interested in good news because they already thought they had all that they needed. Historically, good news or the gospel were terms of peace offered to end war and conflict. For those in a broken relationship with God, terms of peace, the gospel, the good news, were those things that, that could make, help you to make peace with God. You could enter into a restored relationship with God through Jesus' forgiveness, mercy and grace. Going deeper, the passage goes on to identify those who are held in captivity and those that are oppressed. There are those in Jesus' day who were in prison because of their crimes. For example, John the baptizer ended up in prison because he dared to challenge and rebuke those in authority. However, the focus here includes um, those held captive and those that are oppressed by vices and addictions. Those that are held captive by disease and sickness. 
those that are trapped by the situations of life that they found themselves in, whether it be physically, emotionally, mentally or spiritually. Sometimes the prison bars that are physical are easier to break down than those emotional bars. The physical scars, because you can see them, they can at times be more easily healed than those relational scars that we carry. Time and time again, Jesus sought to restore people physically, but also emotionally and relationally. People who were isolated and held captive or oppressed by their physical condition were also often uh, considered unclean and were outcast by society. At times they would have to, if they were walking towards a crowd and a crowd was coming the opposite direction, they would have to call out, unclean, 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 so that they didn't contaminate anyone else with their uncleanliness. When Jesus healed people, there was physical release. But there was also a declaration given by Jesus or a, dec- dec- a direction for those who were healed to show themselves to a priest. The priest, or in Jesus' declaration, um, as a result of the healing, would confirm the result of a physical healing and restore them to the rhythms of society from which they had been excluded because they couldn't go to the synagogue, they couldn't go to the markets, they couldn't go to all these different things. Someone else had to do it or they would be begging. And so for Jesus or the priest to declare that this person was healed was not just an act of confirming what had happened inside the person, it was also confirming to the audience, to those that were around, that this person was now restored back into society. Whether it was physical, whether it was possession or oppression by evil spirits, physical or relational captivity and oppression, or regardless of the status of the, that they held in society, Jesus sought to bring those that were captives to be released, those who were oppressed to be set free. It would be like a weight that they had been carrying for so long had been taken finally from their shoulders. Jesus expressed his, com- his commitment to transforming those situations in people's lives where they were blind as well. Jesus was actively involved in the lives of those who were physically blind and graced them with sight. But he also helped those who were spiritually blind as well. And then there were those that thought that they already had spiritual 2020 vision. Jesus challenged them regarding their spiritual blindness. To those who longed to see God, Jesus revealed God the Father through his own life. Jesus declares in John chapter 14 verse 9 that if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Jesus is God the Son. And as God's Son, Jesus is the revelation of God the Father in his passion, in his values, in his commitment to people and to see them restored in relationship with him. While God the Father and God the Son and two of, uh, two of the members of the triune God, Jesus' teaching, his judgments, 
His values are 100% consistent with those of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. There is no inconsistency between them. That is why we can say and why Jesus could say that Jesus is God made flesh and he gives us a vision of the heart of God. Have you ever had a time or an occasion that you've been looking forward to? For Sam and Greg, Samantha and Greg, they were looking forward to being married yesterday and and they got married yesterday in Canberra. And I know for me personally, I'm looking forward to Sam joining Aletheia and me on team out here at Northern. For Jesus' audience, the time of Yahweh God's favour was wrapped up in the concept of the year of Jubilee. In Leviticus chapter 25, Leviticus 25, 8 to 22, it speaks about this 50th year that would come around, which was a particular year of celebration, a year of equality, a year of justice, a year of wiping the slate clean. When Jesus speaks about this time of Yahweh's favour, it was themed with the year of Jubilee and Jesus and his audience had this year in mind. As soon as you use the words, the year of God's favour, the time of God's favour, they would be thinking about this year of Jubilee where debts would be um, wiped clean, where people that were um, set up in slavery and and, uh, had made commitments to be bound by someone else to work for them um, in another land or another part of the country, they would be released from that commitment and they were able to go home finally. There was this celebration as a result of this year of favour. It was a time without parallel, a time of resetting things and making them right, a time of unequalled blessing and restoration. Jesus, through his life and ministry, ushered in this time, setting the wheels in motion that promised that what we have a taste of today would be fully realised will be fully realised when Jesus comes again. Centuries of hope, anticipation and waiting were realised as Jesus read these words. The Spirit of the Sovereign, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favour has come. And in so doing, Jesus declares that he is God's sent one, that he is the saviour of the world and that for the next three years of Jesus' ministry was an outworking of Jesus' manifesto of bringing good news of proclaiming release for those held captive and oppressed, helping people to see physically, but also helping them to see spiritually and showing people God's grace and favour in tangible ways ways that gave a taste of what was to come. Today, as followers of Jesus, I cannot imagine a better passage in the Bible that captures what we as followers of Jesus should be about. 
After all, if we're to live lives of following Jesus, then if this is Jesus' manifesto, summing up Jesus' purpose of ministry and mission, then ought it not also to be ours? As followers of Jesus, we do well then to press into this passage. What does it look like to have the Spirit of the Lord on your life? Sometimes our language as Christians can be confusing. We receive the Holy Spirit into our lives as a deposit guaranteeing the future right now in our present. But I don't believe that the the Bible teaches that one person has more of the Holy Spirit than another. It's like saying that one person could be more of a Christian than another, more saved than another. I believe the Bible teaches that as Christians, um, we all have the Holy Spirit living in us equally. But that as Christians, we can shift, we can move in our willingness to be influenced by, empowered by, directed by the Holy Spirit. That's why we must actively seek and encourage the Holy Spirit to be at work in us. We do this by spending time and listening to God, the Holy Spirit, who communes um, the heart of God with us. Now, I know this is about to be an imperfect analogy, but for me, it's like a really good marinade. The more the food is open up to the work of the marinade, the more the food takes on the flavour, the power, even the colour of the marinade. The Holy Spirit being intrinsic, intimate, a tangible part of our life is a part of our life where we soak up in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit who lives in every follower of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we do well to invest in our relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. As we do, we are empowered We are gifted, we are guided by the Spirit in our life. But we're also called. We, as followers of Jesus, are set apart, we are commissioned. Not just the ones up the front here, but the ones all the way down to the back or wherever this message finds you. Each one of us, as followers of Jesus, is set apart by Jesus to continue the work of Jesus to bring good news. Yes, without a doubt, that involves action. That involves us doing things to bring good news. But there's stacks of good organisations, volunteers and philanthropic donors who do good things. As followers of Jesus, we have a message that is wrapped up in what we do. It's inseparable and it's about the transformation of people in their life and in their relationship status with their Creator God. As we are transformed, as we personally, individually, and as a faith community are transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, that that is the work of regeneration in every Christian. We are called to share in deed but also in word a desire to see the outworking in people's bad news situations God's good news of transforming lives. To be free, to help, um, to, to help free those held in captivity 
those that are oppressed. You know, we don't have to look too far. And Anna, you mentioned some of those people um, earlier. Those people as we walk around the streets, as we, as we go about our day-to-day life, to see people that are held, that are trapped. That they're held captive, whether it be by their past or their present, and in need of hope for the future. And it would be easy for us to feel overwhelmed with the level of need that is out there and that somehow we're expected to meet all those needs and help everyone. But if we are following Jesus, we also discover that Jesus did not heal or free everyone. While he was walking around Israel, it wasn't as if he just did a blanket healing and um, had all the water turn into wine and made all the rocks into bread and then everything was every, everyone was happy and there was this utopia. It wasn't like that. But as Jesus walked the earth, based on relationship, based on timing, based on opportunity, based on even the willingness of the person about their desire to be healed, to have their life changed. Some did, some weren't willing, some weren't interested. Jesus freed many, but he didn't free all of them. That was dependent on other things. And so for us, we need to consider our responsibility of following Jesus. We need to be led by God's Spirit, empowered by God's Spirit. And as we come in contact with those holding captivity, captivity and press and oppressed we can consider god what are you wanting me to do here in this particular bad news story to help share your good news it might be writing a letter it might be writing a note of encouragement as we were um, encouraged to do today it might be praying with and for someone If you have training as a counsellor, it might be working with someone over a period of time to help them in their point of need. If you're not trained in that way, it might be encouraging someone and supporting them as they do seek to get get in contact with a counsellor to deal with whatever holds them captive. It may even be, and it sounds overly simple, but it, it has a huge weight to it, to support someone who wants to see themselves set free from an abusive relationship. There are a whole different ways that we can help people that are trapped in captivity. There are those also who are blind. For those oblivious to God at work in around them that are blinded because of the failings of the church in the past or as Christians who have hurt them, we can have a significant role of speaking words of hope of healing, living as followers of Jesus and encouraging people to see God through the person of Jesus, not just a religious tradition. As we listen to and understand other people's stories, we can help them to discover and to see times in their life where God has been at work without them even realising it. We can help the blind to see. And we can also help people to know that now is the time of Yahweh God's favour. For those who only know or believe that God is a vengeful, angry God, we can speak to them about God's passion for them as seen in the life of Jesus. That God wants them to experience blessing 
and favour that comes from being in a relationship with Jesus. Yes, there are elements of being in all of this, the hands and feet of Jesus, but there is so much more to being a follower of Jesus when we consider Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Not everyone is going to be comfortable and like what we say and do. Even when we're being obedient, even when we're empowered and directed and led by the Holy Spirit, some may get angry with us and what we do and what we say. But being a follower of Jesus is about being on mission, outworking Jesus' manifesto, being guided by Jesus in the things that we do and say. Jesus commissions us to continue his work And may today I be bold enough to declare that as followers of Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. For Jesus has called you to bring good news to the poor. The Holy Spirit is sending you to work to help set captives and the oppressed free, to help the blind to see Jesus. And that in the person and the work of Jesus, that the time of the Lord's favour has come. Let me pray. Jesus, we thank you for the power of your word, your manifesto, your, your passion, your mission, your values that are wrapped up in just a couple of small verses that carry so much weight and helped you to decide what you would and wouldn't do, where you would and wouldn't go. Thank you that you were responsive to the leading and the prompting and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Help us as we seek to be followers of you, as we seek to follow after you and the the life that you led. Help us in this place, in this day, in our families, in our workplaces, in our situations, in the rhythms of our life, to be people that carry you and your values into those places. In Jesus' name, amen. So how might we respond today? Well, there's a couple of questions that I've got on the screen for you. Let me ask you, what excites you about following Jesus? If you've got those response cards, I encourage you to take them out and and with a pencil there, maybe jot down something about what excites you about being a follower of Jesus. What fears do you have in following Jesus? Because it can be scary. God calls us to go into some challenging situations and that can be scary sometimes. What fears do you have in following Jesus? And as you think about the Luke 4, 18 and 19, the Isaiah 61, 1-3 passage, then who is the Holy Spirit laying on your heart to help? Maybe write a prayer of commitment of wanting to do something for them in obedience to Jesus. There's going to be some music played and as that music's played, I encourage you to take those response cards. Those cards will be collected with the offering um, during the singing of our final song. God bless you.